Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the eighth and final part of my Texas Chainsaw Massacre series review with a look at the 2017 prequel Leatherface, which is currently streaming on NBC Universal's free with ad streaming service Peacock TV. Directed by Alexandre Bastille and Julian Maury, the new French extremity movement maestros of mayhem behind depraved films such as Inside and Among the Living. Leatherface takes place prior to the events of Toby Hooper's original film, serving for the origin story of the most notorious Texas slasher icon in history. Given the handful of years since the previous disappointing entry Texas Chainsaw 3D, starting fresh makes sense, even if it is in especially tall order. And while 2006 Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Beginning told its own interpretation of an origin story, Leatherface focuses on an adolescence of violence, incarceration, and a chance for redemption. Taking place in 1955, we see a young Jedediah Sawyer being groomed by his family of killers into a murderous backroads monster such as themselves. But unlike the others, Jed is hesitant to embrace murdering a man tied to a chair in their kitchen. This hesitation results in his family, especially the patriarch of the family Verna Sawyer, played by Lily Taylor, chastising him, but more importantly, shows that Leatherface was not born a monster, rather, he was made into one. From the start, this is an interesting origin angle, one that pushes back on the long-standing series notion that Leatherface has always been mentally deranged. This is at odds with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the beginning, where he's born horribly disfigured and mentally incompetent, which supports previous entries' depictions of Jed. I prefer the more grounded angle that Leatherface takes, as grounded as I suppose a film about a guy who wears people's faces could be, as here, Jed is somewhat of a sympathetic character, whereas in previous films, he was already the monster that we know him to become. We see that even if Jed is hesitant to do the killing himself, he's still very much an active participant in killing, acting as bait to draw people from the road onto the Sawyer's farm where they're sent to the chopping block. In a creepy as hell scene, we see Judd wearing a cow carcass as a costume to catch the eye of a passing truck, moments before running into the field as the driver's passenger chases after him. The passenger eventually meets the fate that most who encounter the Sawyers do, though the Sawyers pick the wrong victim this time. We learn that the woman killed is the daughter of local sheriff Hal Hartman, played by Stephen Dorff. Distraught by the death of his daughter, Hartman has all the minor Sawyer children committed to a nearby psychiatric facility. The film then jumps 10 years into Jed, now known as Jackson, played by Sam Strike's stay, at a mental hospital, ruled by an abusive and sadistic head doctor. Though, after a prison break of sorts, the hospital is thrown into chaos, and Jackson, three other patients, and a nurse being held hostage, escape and set out on a road trip for Mexico. Though it doesn't take long for Sheriff Hartman to pick up their trail fueled by vengeance for his daughter's death. Here's where the film largely becomes a muddled, meandering mess for nearly an hour. My chief complaint is that the script written by Seth Sherwood largely feels reminiscent of a Rob Zombie film, as the crusty, inbred, degenerate characters are over the top about 100% of the time. And while Texas Chainsaw Massacre has never been about subtlety or sanity, trying to maintain a sympathetic and grounded portrayal of Jackson is difficult when you have hypersexual and violent characters flanking him at every turn. This Bonnie and Clyde-esque road trip to hell serves as the basis for Jackson's morphing into Leatherface. Despite Nurse Lizzie, played by Vanessa Grasse, who attempts to pull him back to the light side, the constant violence and chaos that ensues is too great of a draw for him. And while on paper I understand the intention, the simple fact is that this on-the-run segment is a maddening slog. 
The characters themselves are just not given nearly enough engaging dialogue or character depth to hold much of a narrative. And while an intriguing deviation from Leatherface's origin presented in other series entries, a majority of the film struggles to sustain itself. Fortunately, the film does periodically reel the audience back in with Alexandre, Bastille, and Julian Mari's continued penchant for high-quality gore and emphasis on practical work. Easily some of the best kills of the entire Texas Chainsaw Massacre series, from bloody head slams, vaporizing limbs, and curb stomps from hell. I will admit, for as off-putting as the Rob Zombie approach to character nastiness is concerned, when applied to violence, it does have a memorably gross payoff. One particular scene, Hartman pistol whips a character only to stuff his thumb into their leaking head wound. The nastiness applied to the film's violence feels right at home within the larger Texas Chainsaw Massacre universe's depiction of violence. More importantly than strong violence and effects is how the violence shapes Jackson. Prone to periodic fits of rage, his sense of family and friendship is what drives him to ultimately make decisions that lead to his birth as Leatherface. We also see how violence against Jackson molds him physically and mentally into Leatherface, rather than just him enjoying the acts themselves. In a car chase with Hartman, who's firing at a fleeing Jackson and Lizzie, a bullet pierces Jackson's face, essentially giving him a Black Dahlia-style wound across his cheeks and mouth. This accounts not only for his disfigured face and thus later donning a mask, but more importantly, the trauma that has on his ability to communicate. Naturally, having your mouth shot to shit renders one's ability to talk obsolete, and having a backwoods medical patch-up job from Mama Sawyer certainly isn't going to help that. This trauma paired with the violence he's drawn into during the course of the film ultimately ensures his evolution into Leatherface to be complete. This culminates into a fantastic finale that sees Leatherface donning his saw for the first time and sawing off Hartman's hands before eviscerating his torso. Another stellar example here of practical effects and gore that is as visceral and unrestrained as we've seen in the series thus far. It's just a shame that the film takes so long before it hones its focus on its titlier villain. Leatherface's bookends are some of the freshest and most entertaining moments the series has had in some years, so it's a shame that they bookend what is mostly a disappointing middling act. Fans of the franchise will absolutely get more out of this than most will, as it drags for far too long that casual fans will ultimately ask themselves, why am I watching this again? But as a fan of the franchise and character, I can appreciate and enjoy this grounded take on the origin of my favorite slasher icon. And now for some half-assed research. This was Toby Hooper's final film as a producer before his death in August of 2017. This was the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre film not to be filmed in the United States. Instead, the film was shot in Bulgaria for budgetary reasons, which you could say might have been a detriment to some of its scenes, but then again, they had the foresight to be like, hey, if we're not going to film in Texas or in the United States, we better make sure that our sets are going to be 100% accurate to the series, and I think they largely will, which we see when they had built the Sawyer house from the original film from the ground up. So that really kind of complements the sense of atmosphere in that, sure, it might not exactly look like Texas, they are able to fill it with the props that kind of still put us in that world, and we can see that depiction of Texas coming through in Leatherface. And lastly, I thought it was interesting that Leatherface has a connection to Texas Chainsaw 3D in that Steven Dorff's character, Hal Hartman, is the father of Burt Hartman, who is the lead detective in Texas Chainsaw 3D. And while I'm not a fan of Texas Chainsaw 3D, it's kind of cool that they're able to kind of connect the most recent film prior to uh, Leatherface's release. If anything, 2017's Leatherface makes me hopeful for the future of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series as a whole. It shows that after the disastrous Texas Chainsaw 3D, 
there are capable creative teams out there who can put the buzz back into Leatherface's saw in new and gruesome ways. And if there's one thing I've learned from my overall series review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's that for a slasher to be effective, you don't have to shroud it in darkness. You can make your nightmare as sun-scorched as you want, so long as you ensure that you make the madness and mania of the narrative you're trying to tell palpable for an audience. So thank you for joining me on this complete series review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I can announce that my next solo series review will be that of the Fly series. Beginning with the 1958 original and its two sequels, Return and Curse of the Fly, all the way through its 80s rebirth with Cronenberg's 86 masterpiece, The Fly, and its subsequent sequel, The Fly 2. And as is usually the case, I've only seen one of these films previously, that being Cronenberg's The Fly, so I'm incredibly excited to watch the four other entries in the series for a first time viewing. Be on the lookout for part one of my Fly series review next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.